all people are when you manifestations obey God's word of that was built by slaves reality. and I watched my daughters there is nobody that respects women more than I do this I remember exactly where I was when I saw the text I can picture the grimy bar I was in with my friend Jason who was sitting in the booth across from me my phone kept vibrating and when I'm with friends I don't normally like to check my phone but it just was blowing up so I finally looked down at it to discover that my band Gunger had been nominated not for one but for two Grammy Awards I called my partner Lisa started texting my family and friends and it was just this surreal excitement we were all just like what it was amazing I mean I was never like a super competitive guy in the traditional ways so I wouldn't necessarily have thought that a gold trophy for my music would have meant very much to me but I would have been wrong because damn a Grammy I mean that was like the highest honor that your peers can give to you when you're a musician that's the gold medal that's the pinnacle that so many of us are reaching for to be affirmed in what we do that's good so yeah I was excited so happy I bought a suit <laughs> when January came around we flew out to LA and just did the whole thing you know the red carpet went to some parties and went to the ceremonies and it was all so riveting when we got to the time in the ceremony when they were gonna be announcing the winners in our category I had no idea how nervous I would be I could just so clearly imagine myself getting up there in that room in front of those people sitting right there. Quest Love literally sitting in the road in front of me. And all these musical idols. And imagining that moment, hoping I wouldn't make an ass of myself. Hoping my mind wouldn't blank. My body started shaking. My pulse quickened. And the closer we got to that moment. And finally, our category arrived. Chris Tomlin, King of the Lord's Praise, Chris T, Christ, uh, can we just call him Christ? Anyway, Christ beat us, and so did somebody else, I don't remember, but we lost both categories. I lost my Grammy to the Christ, and let me tell you, all of the extreme highs that we experienced were immediately replaced with extreme lows. I felt like shit. I felt like I had never amounted to anything and never would amount to anything. I felt sorry for myself. And then, of course, hated myself for being so fragile and foolish for feeling so sorry for myself. How privileged was I that that was my big suffering? <laughs> I didn't win the Grammy. <laughs> Angel's voice could bring a tear to be as the I lost my Grammy to the Christ. Now compare that record, Beautiful Things, that was our first Gunga record, with a different album 
that I made several years before Beautiful Things called Six String Dance. Six String Dance was an instrumental record I made to thank the people that had helped uh, pay for a month-long missions trip that I took with a Christian youth organization to Siberia. What, what 16-year-old doesn't want to spend a month in Siberia? But the song names from that record, the hits like Bill's Ball, Taco John's, a couple of the titles that come to mind. And this was like the way that I treated this album. The song names were silly and off the top of my head. None of the songs went gold like the song Beautiful Things did. It wasn't nominated for any Grammys. It wasn't written about in any magazines or praised by any of my musical heroes. It was fine, though. I, I didn't make it for that. I made it for my friends, my family, the people who helped me. I didn't have any giant highs in making it, but there also weren't any extreme lows. It was just kind of, I was happy to have made it. It was fun. People liked it. And I moved on. On the surface, doesn't this seem weird? Like, I was happier with Six String Dance, an entirely unsuccessful project by all metrics other than just being happy, than I was with in this moment of extreme victory on the outside, being nominated for Grammys? I mean, that's big stuff. And I was far more miserable in those moments. And afterwards, it lasted, it lingered, that like sense of, oh no, who am I? <laughs> am I any good at what I do? It was far more severe following the Grammy loss than it was after Six String Dance was entirely unsuccessful. What is that? What's happening with that? What is it in our psychology that makes it so hard to be happy with what is? Hello. Hey, Mike. Hey. Be cool if I ask you a question? Yep. This is my friend Science Mike from my other podcast, The Liturgists Podcast. So, Mike, what's happening in our brains that makes it so hard to be happy? Well, there is no one happiness. I think that's probably a big misunderstanding we have. Oh, here he goes. Cue the music. There's joy, which is you know, kind of one of our basic emotions that we're born with. And joy happens when not things are okay, but there's something the brain thinks we need a reward for. And joy is going to be some combination of dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, which kind of leads us to happiness and why it's so fleeting. There's four basic kinds of happiness that our brain releases in order to train us to survive better. So you can have a, a type of happiness that ha occurs when you like push through physical limitations. That's an endorphin rush. And that usually means you're in severe danger and need to keep running or you'll die. Despite the fact that running that long isn't great for your body. Uh, so anyone who's run like a long distance knows that you can get absolute euphoria, like an incredible happiness from running through misery. Um, we get another kind of happiness whenever we have social bonding and social proximity, and that's a happiness that's based on oxytocin, makes us feel warm and cuddly, but when, when, when you're with someone you love and you say, I feel so happy, well, that's the kind of happiness that's coming from oxytocin. On the other hand, if you get an unexpected reward, 
that's going to be a dopamine reinforcement. So if something tasted better than you expected it to, or you, you suddenly have money and you didn't think you had it, or, or you get a compliment that you didn't expect, the brain releases dopamine to say, that's good, try it again. And then finally, there's a serotonin happiness that you get when you feel accomplished or dominant, especially over other people. Um, and that, that's going to make you feel kind of a triumphant happiness. So those four distinct kind of happiness uh, can be put into a blender to create a pretty broad spectrum of activity, but they all only exist to behaviorally train you to try to do something again. They are architecturally designed to be fleeting and to be something that we pursue, whereas our negative emotions have the neurological capacity to endure, to be chronic, to be experienced often because we have such a natural tendency to go with what we know and what's comfortable that we have to be driven to absolute misery to attempt any kind of significant change. Mike's a real show off. To summarize, happiness is a word that we assign to a spectrum of emotions that are essentially a set of chemical reactions inside of the brain and body. Your brain offers you a chemical reward for your body doing something that it has evolved and been conditioned to desire. Genital stimulation? Yes, that is a desirable scenario, as it is more likely to result in DNA continuing itself through creating offspring. So the brain says, gold star, genitals. Here's some dopamine and some oxytocin. Please, keep doing that. Or, ooh, a cheeseburger? Yes, that is a miraculously calorically dense food that will ensure survival for at least the next few days. So, please eat this. Happiness equals fulfilled desires. You're happy when you get what you want. You're sad, angry, jealous, disgusted, etc. when you don't. The comedian Pete Holmes has a really funny bit about how your brain has all the good chemicals that it needs to be happy, but it like withholds this stuff, withholds the good stuff, unless you do what it wants you to do, like go on a run or whatever. I mean, it's kind of an asshole move, right? But that's how it needs to be. If happiness was just dispensed at all times, what reason would we have to behave in a way that was beneficial for us? The reality is that if our brains just dispensed all the happy chemicals all of the time, it wouldn't be in our best interest. If we felt as happy murdering our children as we do in caring for them, there wouldn't be a whole lot of children around. All of those juicy happiness chemicals are the carrot for what our bodies want to do in order to survive and make babies. All the negative stuff, like pain, fear, anger, and all that, is the stick to protect us against the things that could potentially keep us from living and having babies. All of that said, many of us experience far more negative emotions and far fewer happy ones than is actually necessary for our survival or making babies. Not drinking that milkshake at dinner is not actually endangering your life of starvation. 
getting ridiculed on Facebook does not actually decrease your chances of being able to successfully create offspring. But those old chemical reactions can sure make it feel like that. The thing is, the chemistry is a bit outdated. All of these reactions evolved in a very different time with an entirely different set of environmental realities. For most of us, society shields us from most of the existential threats that used to plague humanity. All of the getting eaten by predators stuff, or the starving to death because of famine or scarcity stuff. This privilege that we live in because of fire departments and healthcare and pain medicine allows so many of us to focus on needs that are a bit higher up on Maslow's hierarchy. We can do things like make and listen to podcasts about non-dual spirituality, for example. If our current emotional responses are a bit outdated in comparison to our environment, why not take advantage of that privilege and figure out how to do a bit of life hacking, a little brain hacking, to allow ourselves to experience more happiness and less of all of those negative emotions. There's nothing wrong with any of those negative emotions. Again, they're good and necessary developments for human beings to survive. But perhaps we don't need to experience so many of them so often as so many of us do. And there are some simple, practical things that we can do. Some ways that we can think and live in the world that can help us live more fulfilling, happy lives, not so bogged down in all the negativity and suffering. But all of that's going to involve some paradox and some letting go. Namely, the story that you will be happy if. Because that's the big story that everybody's selling, isn't it? You will be happy if you buy this product. You will be happy if you get that relationship. If you join our religion. If fill in the blank. That's like human society. You will be happy if. I live in America. And at the foundation of the American dream, we have life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Our founding fathers left their countries of origin and came to this new, well, I mean, you know, it was inhabited already, but new for white people, world wherein they could fulfill all of their dreams and live happily ever after. And look around, it worked perfectly, didn't it? <laughs> there are no cats in America, and the streets are made of cheese. The truth is that the pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of our own tales. Happiness is not something you can chase after and attain somewhere out there, somewhere other than here, sometime other than now. Happiness cannot be experienced tomorrow or yesterday. Happiness only happens here and now. Of course, that doesn't mean that you can't be happy thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. But that thinking happens here and now. And that may seem like a silly thing to say, but there's a subtle but important distinction in there. Let's think about it in terms of bellies. 
Right now, I'm touching my belly. Forgive me if the erotic imagery is too much for you to handle, but it's true. In a strange way, this belly is the source of my entire body. This magical container somehow turns the outside world into my body. That's weird. It takes apples and cheeseburgers and turns them into lungs and eyeballs. His belly is like some crazy witch's cauldron or something. I mean, there's there's acid in your stomach. Acid! Acid that liquefies and like burns everything up and turns it into a human. It's crazy. It's a miracle. And it's happening all of the time. But that's not always the thought that I have when I touch my belly. I, I used to have a, a habit of gently poking my belly fat that I had to work hard to break. And honestly, I'll still occasionally catch myself doing it. But it's not nearly as often anymore. But here's what happens. It's usually when I'm thinking of eating something unhealthy or after I've eaten something unhealthy. And what happens is that uh, slight and subtle sense of unease with my dietary choices. I feel that and then it would lead me to reach down and ever so gently poke, prod, or feel the status of my soft lower abdomen in order to take stock of my physical fitness. And the thing is, it was never just once. You know, I mean, one trip to Froyo could very easily equal, I don't know, 50 to 100 belly pokes. And this friend is, of course, absurd. My brother does this too. It's irrational. The workings of a madman. Still, maybe this time it'll be a six-pack. Why did I used to do this so much? It didn't make me happy to do it, but something in my brain wanted to do it nonetheless. Something that wanted to know, am I okay? And the answer that it found under its probing fingertips was no, I'm not fully okay. So what's the difference between touching my belly and feeling happy about how wondrous and magical it is? and touching my belly and feeling ashamed of my body. Really, it's the difference between loving this or wishing that this was that instead. If I poke my belly hoping to feel what is not there, a chiseled six-pack, I'll be disappointed in what is. I'll be disappointed in this. I'll suffer. If instead I poke my belly and find some amazement and love for it, for what it is, for what it does, for how amazing all of this is, well, I'll be fine, right? I'll be content, at peace, maybe even happy. And this is because happiness cannot occur in places that do not exist. And what exists that doesn't exist here and now. 
That's what existence is. Here and now. The rest of it is just thought, imagination, the dream. So to tie my happiness to the shape of my belly, or the shape of anything else in reality, is in a way to chase my own tail. The story in my own head that I think I can catch, that ever-elusive happiness, if only, if only I run faster and faster in this circle, if only I poke my belly fat a few more times, if only I could win a Grammy, then I would be okay. Can you see the paradox in there? Your body does reward you with happiness when it gets what it wants. But if what you want isn't directly connected in your awareness to here and now, happiness will always elude you. So let's get a little bit more practical. If you are feeling unhappy, pay attention to what it is that you are wanting. Is it something other than this? If so, you can change your current experience by shifting your attention from that, the dream, the imagination, the thought of what should be, what could be, to this, what is. And again, that's not to say that tomorrows and yesterdays can't become part of your current experience of this. It's not just pleasure in the moment that can provide happiness. If that was the case, then just straight up hedonism would be the way to live. But as humans, we also have the ability to derive happiness from purpose and meaning. You know, we can, we can go to the gym and work off that belly fat for a tomorrow where maybe there is less fat. But we don't have to despise the current moment. We can actually celebrate and accept the process, the journey, the current moment of exercising and having that extra chub on the belly while still imagining and moving towards a tomorrow that will be different because tomorrow will be different. And it's fine to have preferences and dreams and imagination to think about what that could be. And it's fine to remember yesterday and learn what worked and what didn't for what we were trying to accomplish. And to take all of that into the current moment. That's all fine. But it's when we focus our attention and we cling to tomorrow, to yesterday, as though happiness could be found there. As though happiness could be found if and when, rather than here and now. It's the clinging to that in which we suffer and in which we'll never find the happiness that we pursue, at least not in a way that lasts. Because even if you do get the six pack and win the Grammys and do everything else that you think is going to make you happy, then what? There's always something. There's always the next record. Because what if that record is not quite as successful as this one was? As soon as you achieve all of your wildest dreams that your body rewards you with happy chemistry, now you got to worry about losing it or the next time. The system is broken, friends. It doesn't work. 
You won't live a happy life if it's based in if, then. You will only be able to dwell in a happy life inasmuch as you learn to love and be at home in this. Our imaginations of yesterdays and tomorrow affect what we do with this current moment. But happiness only happens here. It's a smart move to go to the gym for the sake of tomorrow. It probably will put you in a better position to be happy when the now of tomorrow happens. But while you're engaging in an act for tomorrow, something that is about purpose and meaning and the journey, why not smell the roses? Why not take time and attention to enjoy this moment as well? The breath in your lungs, the hard work your body is doing, the purpose and sense of accomplishment that you can feel for doing something in line with your priorities and values. You don't have to be miserable even in the pain and work of life. You can create meaning within it. You can see it as a part of a larger whole. You can experience the raw glory that is this. And this is the reason that I was so much happier in the industry failure of six-string dance than I was in my crowning achievement of beautiful things. At the Grammys, I was living for that, the recognition imaginary world in which I was seen as more important, more talented, more beloved, and so I suffered. With Six String Dance, it just was what it was. Just this. So, as you go through your day today, pay attention to how you're feeling. Pay attention to what your body's speaking and responding to the world with with all that chemistry inside of you and see if that can be a reminder to see where you're living. Are you living out there in the world that doesn't exist in the world of coulds and shoulds or are you living in this in your very life? And I think the more that you ground your feet into this moment, you'll see that the chemistry will tend to realign a bit. And the happiness that you give up pursuing as though it's something that could be caught out there may find to present itself right here. With this breath. This heartbeat. And you can breathe freely, beloved, knowing that this is all there is. Thank you.